Ah, it's Conway. Oh no! I think it is. Have I been saying Conroy this whole <laughs> time? <laughs> yeah, it's Conway. Can you can you splice it in every no, time? No, no. Main character of the game. I didn't even remember his real name. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Just say you gave him the name of Conroy, and everyone's everyone else gave him the name Conway. That was your dialogue choice. That was my dialogue choice. <laughs> Welcome to Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar, and this is episode 12, which also happens to be our very first From the Archives. In 2012, an independent video game inspired me to start a now-defunct show, which was called All My Friends Play Video Games. The show didn't last long, but the game, Kentucky Route Zero, has kept us waiting for its conclusion. With its fifth and final act seemingly on the horizon finally, fingers crossed, we're taking a special trip down memory lane by re-airing our seven-year-old impressions of the game's first two acts. We've been looking for an opportunity to start venturing towards indie games on this show, and I couldn't think of one more true to us and my relationship with today's guests than with this game. Kentucky Route Zero is equal parts mysterious, dense, and stylish, but it comes down to earth through its soulful characters, and at its heart is a story about a downtrodden slice of America, what debt does to the less fortunate, and the friendly strangers we learn to call family throughout life's most trying times. In this previously lost episode, my guests and I discuss Cardboard Computer's indie darling, appreciate its visual sleights of hand, and interpret the direction its characters are all heading. In the first half, now returning guest Hilary Beauvais and I took a look at the game's debut act, its aesthetics and initial plot beats. And then in the second half, Alex Koval joined us to discuss Act 2 and the themes, symbolism, and character arcs that were all starting to develop by then. The wait between Acts 3, 4, and the forthcoming fifth finale is somewhat unavoidable when discussing Kentucky Route Zero as a whole. And in reflection, this episode behaves as somewhat of a time capsule for the game's fledgling days. The show very literally grew up to become what you're hearing now in screen looking, and we've changed as people too along the way. In that spirit, we invite you to tune in and enjoy our first ride through Mammoth Cave. Hilary Beauvais is an artist and photographer first and foremost, and she's also an appreciator of video games, especially video games that have unique art style to them, and Kentucky Route Zero definitely falls within that category. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, Hillary? Um, yeah. So I'm Hillary Beauvais. I live in Portsmouth, Rhode Island, and I've always lived in Rhode Island. Um, and I went to Endicott College for photography, and I graduated this past May. So uh, I'm a photographer, and I just am an art lover, I guess. Uh, and I played video games a lot when I was little. I haven't played them too much lately, but after meeting you, Andrew. Actually, I've been playing them quite a bit now, and you introduced me to Kentucky Route Zero. And when, though my favorite game is Crash Bandicoot, and probably nothing's going to knock that off the top. Same for saying. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much mm-hmm. the best game ever. So, good, yeah. good luck, Kentucky Route Zero. Better luck next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Act 1 of Kentucky Route Zero is currently the one that's out. Uh, it's an episodic series, so the rest of Kentucky Route Zero will be released throughout 2013. 
and I'm sure Hillary and I are going to be revisiting it as each act comes out to talk about it. Okay, there's only one of two interruptions I'm going to make throughout this episode in hindsight. First of all, Kentucky Route Zero definitely was not completed in 2013 as we assumed it would. Whoops. And two, when it is completed, we are absolutely going to regroup and talk about it as a whole on this show. And now, back to the episode. Um, on the last episode of this show, we had a pretty pretty sizable segment about Kickstarter itself and how it's affected video game culture or the development of games, especially indie games. Um, and this game was one of the games funded through Kickstarter. It got its funding almost a year ago, last February. They only asked for $6,500 to help with the development, and they got 2000 more than that. They got over $8,500 for it. And just to give a little bit of context, there is a game today that was made by a pretty well-known developer called Gas Powered Games, and they're asking for $1.1 million to fund it. So just as an what? example of the, uh, the, the scale of you know, what one developer is asking an indie developer versus a developer that's making a larger scale game. Some of the discussion around Kickstarter is, well, all these games are getting money. Are they actually going to turn out? Are they going to be any good? Are they going to get finished? And this is one example that, yes, um, they do. They could turn out quite well. Okay. Remember that other interruption I was going to make? Well, here it is. So Kentucky Route Zero being funded on Kickstarter for a little over $8,000 That is definitely not how things work in video game development today. Uh, Most likely that money was used to start some of the initial development on the game. And then most of the money that I'm sure is funding the game at this point is either coming straight from the developer's pockets at Cardboard Computer and or is a mix of that and the sales they've made on the game since then. Wherever else it's coming from, couldn't tell you, but definitely didn't all come from Kickstarter. But, you know, that's hindsight for you. So now back to the episode where Hillary goes into some detail about some accolades and awards at the Game 1 at the Independent Games Festival. Kentucky Road Zero was a finalist in the 2013 IGF, and it was up for a couple awards for excellence in visual art, excellence in narrative, and excellence in audio. And it was also up for the Seamus McNally Grand Prize. Uh, IGF is the Independent Games Festival, And that's a festival that's held every year at the GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference. That's usually held every March. Like the reason being in the IGF is important, being recognized by it, is that uh, it's it's promoted some very uh, influential games over the last last few years. Especially Uh, some of the games that the IGF have recognized include uh, last year they definitely recognized Minecraft, which a lot of people play these days. I uh, recognized a game called Limbo, Everyday Shooter, Audio Surf, Castle Crashers is another well-known one, World of Goo, and uh, one really interesting one is a game called Vernacular Drop. Vernacular Drop and uh, the team that made it both actually went on to create the game and become the game that is now known today as Portal. Uh, so there's a lot of very important, influential games that extend from being at this event. So. For Kentucky Route Zero to be among those kind of accolades is pretty great. So, Hillary, do you want to start off? We'll get into the game here. I mean, how would you describe what the game is like and what 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 about it attracted you to it? Um, well, actually, I was trying to tell my friend Meredith about it, <laughs> and I basically told her it was a pretty mysterious game, and it's really haunting overall. Um, and just the art style is really interesting because it sort of combines 2D and 3D in a way, like is really dimensional. Mm -hmm. Um, simply because of the way they make it atmospheric. 
So, um, yeah. And I said it was sort of about like storytelling and uh, the characters are really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what attracts me to it. How, what would you say you did in the game that was interesting um, to you? I mean, I guess it's kind of about just adventuring around the area um, mm-hmm. that is presented to you and discovering things and exploring. It's not so much about like action or I don't know, killing things or anything like that or mm-hmm. collecting collecting wampa fruits. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's just sort of about discovering the characters and building a story and also building your own character, depending on what you say in conversations. Because mm-hmm. pic- picking out things in conversation is really a big part of it, like deciding what you're going to say, what, what another character is going to say. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you can switch roles, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, I guess, you know, the, the motivation is uh, is in the title you're you're searching for route zero in kentucky kentucky route zero the game starts off uh you arrive at this gas station and you're trying to make a delivery um with your antique truck and you're you're just asking for directions because you're lost and you find yourself getting caught up in this lore and mythos surrounding kentucky route zero uh, this guy at this gas station kind of gives you hints as to where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do and you just kind of find yourself being funneled and and invested in looking for some of the dialogue, those dialogue options you talked about, they start suggesting, giving you options of asking other characters, well, where is Kentucky route zero or what is it? And you're kind of instigated to find out more about it. So that's, that's kind of the thrust that's pulling you through this adventure, which just has phenomenal graphics, phenomenal audio, and has, has some really interesting uh, storytelling devices that go on in it. Um, Absolutely. The, you know, we'll get into the art and design next. I think that's probably the biggest standout of the game itself, right? You'd say. Yeah, for sh- for yeah. sure. I think one of the most interesting things about this game is that it plays with that illusion of two dimensionality, but with depth. There, there, there's, yeah. There's a there's a sense of depth in it, and um, the game is actually very much inspired by theater and set designs. Uh, late late on into the design of the game, if especially if you go back and you look at the Kickstarter link uh you'll see the the old art style the game had which wasn't drastically different but um different in subtle ways it it still has that kind of theater quality to it the theater theater lighting kind of the spotlight lighting but it Mm -hmm. has a much more detailed detailed character designs more um textures on the surface of things the camera's a lot closer to characters but if you think about the new game it's much farther away like you'd be in an audience in a theater yeah, you definitely. See, you can see the whole scene, and it's very, very clearly framed. The one quote that Jake Elliott said about it, he said, a theatrical set design in the 20th century is incredibly rich with examples of negotiating this boundary between immersion and estrangement. As a photographer, it's a, yeah. it's a really hyper-visual person who thinks about lighting and lighting on sets especially. Um, mm-hmm. How did you react to this game as a photographer? First, I, I just want to point out that it, also immediately reminded me of Shadow Puppet Plays. Yeah, yeah. And just like the 2D layers themselves being very flat, mm-hmm. but still creating dimension that way. And just the way um, there are so many silhouettes and then the colors in the background are really determining the mood. Um, so that was just something I thought of. But um, as a photographer, yeah. Well, one of the things that in one of the scenes when you're in the mine um, and you're there's a light blinking... Uh, on the contraption you're mm-hmm. on to work through the mine and just the flashing of the light and the kind of soft quality of it reminded me immediately of um, old um, flash powder that mm-hmm. photographers used to use to create light in really dim spaces 
Um, so that was just something I found interesting. And um, I also thought a lot about film, mm -hmm. the way the camera pans in and out. It also goes sideways across scenes and the way, um, like you said, it's sort of theatrical, um, like a set. But then when you're focusing on one character, sometimes it, it just slowly moves in. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another scene where it goes through the walls, which is definitely a film technique that happens a lot. You know, you see a character outside of a house, then the camera just moves through the wall seemingly, and then you're inside the house with them. Wes Anderson so. does that a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> You're a big Wes I was, I was thinking of Wes a little bit, yeah. as I do often. There's there's one scene where you go up to a house on top of a hill, and the house, th when you go up to it, you can, it, it's almost like it's cut away. You're all seeing the intersection of the house. I mean, yep. isn't that how they'd make? I've sometimes seen like sitcoms how they like have the sets and the it, studio it's audience. It's actually only half the set. It's actually half the set because they need to get the full view of the room, so they exactly. have to have it cut away. I mean. Uh, it, it's interesting to see that done in a game very literally when they don't really have to because the game yeah. has digital assets. It doesn't have a physical space that it has to fill up and has to capture. But to see a game actually use that to tell the story, very literal, you know, physical film techniques. A lot of times... Yeah, game I, I haven't seen that either, really. When Wes Anderson builds his sets, it's basically like he loves to do a really long camera pan through all scenes, mm -hmm. um, which I feel like they did a lot in kentucky route zero like in the mine perhaps it just pans right and left for a really long time mm -hmm. so he just builds half rooms like one after the other after the other and then the camera's along a track so that it can just pan through catch every scene every mm -hmm. character as they're doing something and then end the scene yeah or there's yeah. even that there's even that one scene right in the beginning when you go down into the basement beneath the, the gas station and it just mm -hmm. keeps going it doesn't yeah it's so it's cool to to see games do that more and more but yeah it's, it's sort of like a skeleton of everything you're just seeing like i don't that, that kind of view yeah so i mean the game's definitely drawing from multiple sources of media which is it's really cool how it does it it's very very smooth and very slick and so because it's a you know it's a game that is not very you know graphically um it's graphically very stylistic, but it's not photorealistic in any in any way, shape, exactly, or form. Exactly. Yeah, it's not so, very detailed. Yeah, so you can get away with realistic depth without realistic graphics, if that makes sense. You know. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, that's um, a good point. That scene in the gas station—if you just took that gas station or that giant horse's head at Equus Oil and made a silhouette of it, you'd, it'd be unmistakable, right? Mm -hmm. You know. Which um, they do when they pan downward. They do, right? Once you go into the basement, it just becomes a silhouette. Yeah. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of modern game, game art and design, a little bit of traditional film and stage theater tricks. So mm -hmm. it's, it's got a real interesting hodgepodge going on. Yeah, and even another film kind of thing they do is they're creating atmosphere in a lot of different ways um, with the sound that's happening, which is very detailed in comparison to the graphics sometimes. Like really small things like crickets chirping or, mm. you know, the lights, the sound of lights, mm -hmm. which is which is something I think a lot of people would overlook, I guess, if mm -hmm. in creating, I don't know, an atmosphere. But filmmakers think about that all the time. Like, like Hayao Miyazaki always, he he has every little sound going in the environment, so you really believe it in his animation. Um, and even things occurring in the background as you're, as you're moving along, which I, you sort of mentioned before, like, if when you're at Equus Oils in the very beginning, there are cars going by in the background, and yeah, you, you know can, you can hear them whirling by and getting louder and quiet as they reach the center of the screen and, and stuff like that. It's got a very 
its own atmosphere and texture. And, and there's layers to the game that create this really, really unique experience. Well, I was just thinking of how, I sort of mentioned this before, but the way flatness in 2D is sort of meshed with 3D in a way, even mm-hmm. though nothing, some things you've said are 3D, mm-hmm. but not everything. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, I guess all the layers is what I was thinking really creates a lot of dimensionality. And there's one particular scene where the layers are really apparent. And in the foreground, in silhouette, really large, as if you're just looking in on the scene, um, there's this bluegrass band right in front of you. Um, and they're just silhouetted. And it's framing you, the character Conway, in the landscape you're in. And then the landscape itself is receding into the background with all its different layers. And that was just such a like cinematic moment, I thought. Mm, um, yeah. Just the way it's completely framed by something else, which would be... You know, as a photographer, that would be out of focus, but it's like filling up a lot of your screen. Yeah. And then in the middle of the frame, I'd say, you know, are as your character and then further into the background, which might also be out of focus, depending on your aperture would be the landscape itself. Right. And that's a scene, yeah. too, where you were talking about the whole panning. That's a perfect example of how they use panning to bring you both out of a scene and into a new scene. And when you're coming out of the house... um, the camera sort of, as you go down the hill, the camera does follow you down and the light changes, which is a really nice light shift as you go down and up. And it's just like the, the house gets darker and your truck below gets lighter on the street. And it uh-huh. is sort of like a cinematic thing. Like you would you would watch someone going down and the light is changing to follow right, them. Right. Yeah, definitely a lot of the camera techniques used are very cinematic, uh-huh. which is really interesting. As we were saying... Um, all the little details that are adding up together create a texture. Uh-huh. Um, so I was thinking about the detail of, which I didn't notice until a few t- a few times, like um, a little later after I played the game again, was that whenever the words the zero come up in a conversation when you're talking to someone, right? They're th- those words specifically are transparent and they're very they like swirl with the background. Really, I yeah. did not notice that. Yeah, it's really, it's just like a really tiny detail. There's parts in the mine when you're, you're there's a part in the game where you're in this, um, near the end of it, kind of, or middle of the act, you're, um, you, you go to this mine with a person you meet, and you're, you're going through it, and you're trying to figure out how deep the mine is, and you're using these audio techniques. Some of the dialogue choices are kind of fuzzy and wavery, and kind of look like they're on a broken TV, almost. Is that, yeah. is, is it similar to that, or is it? It is, it is similar to that, but it's even more subtle. Oh, wow. Because that's even really that. apparent. And yeah. I, I, when I noticed it, I was like, oh, maybe this means I can, you know, click on it and something will happen. But it's just sort of like this really small visual element that just is there. Like the zero is always mysterious. Mm-hmm. So it's even when written, it's mysterious. Yeah. That which is I interesting. thought was a nice layer to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's primarily a storytelling game, really. I mean, you're going around, you're walking around the environment. It's you're basically just exploring and trying to tie all these, you know, those elements in the environment. And they all kind of mean something to one another. It's like each scene is its own um, narrative puzzle, I guess. Uh, you're trying to learn something. You're trying to walk away from every scene, learning something new about the, your character or the other characters. It, if I could say the game is anything, it's kind of a ghost story. And you yeah, me- you mentioned yeah. Miyazaki earlier, and he uh, he made Spirited Away. You're in one physical spot and trying to get to another physical spot, and between is this kind of surreal environment filled with surreal people and unbelievable people almost. And exactly. a lot of questions and mysteries. And these play into the sort of dialogue trees that end up happening. You know, you're, we talked about how you land at the gas station. You talk to the guy who runs a gas station, Joseph, this old man who's sitting in a rocking chair, sitting under the, um, the now off dim lights of the gas station. Cause the electricity was turned off. 
and uh, he mentions your dog, and you know, oh, is your he kind of acknowledges the fact, oh, does your do you, does your dog have a name? And you kind of have to tell him, well, this dog has a name or doesn't have a name, or I don't even yeah. know. That's where you say, I don't even know if the, you, you have the option of saying, I don't know who this dog is. You can just make up your reinvent your history if no one knows who you are, and uh, the game definitely plays with that. I mean, was there any was there any particular moments gave you the opportunity to say something different stood out to you? Well, I think once it, once we got further into the game, there's a lot more interesting dialogue choices that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like when you were asking things of Shannon, things got really interesting there because it was it was more like about her past, and it was really it the story got really like meaty as as you went on. Mm-hmm. At first, it was just sort of like, oh, you're helping Joseph. This is interesting. Joseph is mysterious, but as as you get further into it, obviously you build a stronger relationship with the mm-hmm. characters. So probably one of the points that stood out to me was Shannon. It wasn't really out of the blue, but it was sort of unwarranted. She was just like, "Oh, do you believe in ghosts?" And I was, yeah. And whenever you talk to the dog, I feel like that's sort of the way you're likening it to a stage. It's sort of reminiscent of just his own like monologue. It's like everyone on the stage is left and he's just sort of talking to his dog and it's somewhat revealing, but at the same time like you're not really sure. Yeah. You know, what exactly to read into. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember one of the choices um one of Conroy's reactions about his past when I think Shannon asks about him or maybe it's maybe it's Weaver. One of his answers you can say is I have a lot of apologies to make. What does that mean? Like who did he hurt and what did he do? And there's yeah. also decisions like um, one of the interesting things early in the game, it, it, the game touches on theater, but also touches on poetry in a bit. In the beginning of the game, you get to, um, you turn on the power to the gas station is basically the first puzzle. And when you do, you can access Joseph's computer in his office in the gas station and you can uh, look up directions for basically where Kentucky Route Zero might be or the area you're supposed to go to. And you can, uh, his password is a series of, like haiku it's basically a haiku is his password and he very frankly says you know it's it's kind of like a poem it's kind of short kind of long which i think is kind of a reference to the game itself kind of mm-hmm. short kind of long um and depending on what password decisions you pick which i got right on the first time so i'm assuming that they're all right and it's yeah. more like it's more about like which line stood out to you and that kind of to me like said a lot about the game right off the cuff that you know, maybe this is who Conroy is. He's thinking about these things. I just wanted to mention that because I, I asked you about this earlier. I yeah, like, oh, I did not know where you were. T- yeah. Um. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was like, oh, did you go back to Equus Oils or Equius? Not sure how it's pronounced yeah. in this game, but um, did you go back to Equus Oils after or before you go to the Marquez farmhouse, which is where the final act is? I mean, the final scene is supposed to play out because mm-hmm. because every character is sort of telling you that, like, okay, go back to the farmhouse. I got back on the highway and I was like, you know, I wonder why, I don't know, maybe I should just go back to Equus Oil, see what's going on there. And I stopped by there and Joseph is with another guy. Oh, He's really? with this guy named Carrington, who looks very odd, is trying to find a venue for his play. So you can talk to both of them. Yeah, basically Carrington is looking for a place for his play, which actually had a really funny dialogue choice at this point. As um, I totally miss this. Yeah, I missed it the first time, and then I was like, oh, let's check it out. So there's a really funny dialogue choice where uh, Carrington is asking you, he's like, do you know of a place where I could stage my play? Like, he's he's trying to stage it the next morning at dawn or something for some reason. And it's some very, like, philosophical thing. I don't quite remember the details, but... And so he asks you if you know anything, and the two options for answers are... One of them is like, oh, I could... I could find a place where I could uh, break in for you. 
And, and then the <laughs> other option, the other option is like, oh yeah, I once passed a place that looked like it'd be an open air theater, or like I know I have a friend who owns a theater, and so I, I chose the I'll break in for you. And and Carrington was like Carrington was like this is not an inside job. What are you telling me? And he's just like totally affronted by that answer. Um, so your uh, your Conway is a little bit of a thief. Yeah, a little bit of a was, burglar. I made him a little devious, a little, a little bit of an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I have to see that. That makes me want to go back, but I'll wait. I'll wait it out. Maybe it maybe out. going back to Equus Oils and Act Two will have even more more acts of mischief that I can get into. Yeah. That but, uh, I the only like thing that really I mean that scene was funny and also that sort of enhanced for me um when I got back onto the map or just thinking about the places I'd been on the map there were there was one that like kind of was appropriate for a theater location or something cuz he was like keep an eye out on the road for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also wanted to say back to the 20 sided die um I was hope I was wishing that I had left it there at the, when I went back to Equus Oh, because you think maybe... Maybe, maybe the people would have still been in the basement. Maybe that would have revealed something else. Because I went in the basement, it was still, you know, pitch still black, empty. no one's there. See, I yeah. thought... I, I just... I wanted to take it, one, because I wanted it for myself, but two, I figured, well, if I run into these people again, if they really did sneak in and leave, if I meet them again, I could give it to them when I meet them. Which might be when like you meet a, them somewhere else. Yeah, in the game. I'm kind of hoping that maybe they went to the zero and I'll run across them playing another game, and they're like, "Did oh. you, you know?" Like cause sometimes games do that where you you pick up an item and you don't know why you need it, and someone needs it for some real niche situation, and it just gives you like a little Easter egg or it's kind of like a wink and a nod to something that happened earlier in the game. Right, um, right. But if I don't meet them ever again, I'd I'd be happy to have a twenty sided die in my pocket throughout the game. I think the decisions you make, it's more about not so much how do your decisions have a lasting effect on the overall environment and have consequence, but more... Yeah, it's just sort of like for your own, not enjoyment, I mean, enjoyment, but also just like you want to flesh out the characters yourself. Yeah. So it's just sort of for for the story for you. You know, the characters, the way they're rendered, they have no actual facial features. Right. And... And that emphasized to me that the fact that you're creating their identities for them, it just sort of like mm-hmm. is another layer of that. And whatever dialogue you choose, it doesn't really, like you said, there's not really going to be any consequences. And in the end, you kind of get the same things out of every character, even if you take a different route in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of, it's just fleshing out the character for your own enjoyment of the game and like the way you see the whole environment in the world of Kentucky Road Zero. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Um, I walked away from this game immediately wondering uh, a dual question, who is haunted and who is dead? Who is mm. actually dead? Because you, you kind of enter this, it's very obvious that there's, this. the second Shannon mentions, are you haunted? Do you believe in ghosts? Immediately that I associate that with everyone in the game now. Oh, are some of the people I met ghosts? And if I did, does that make me haunted? Am I a ghost? And am I haunting these people? Like, am I dead? Is she dead? Is Joseph dead? Are the people in the basement dead? Is my dog dead? Are we already on Kentucky Route Zero? We're just on our way to it. There's all these like really big looming questions that I think are going to get explained over the course of the the series. I'd hope you're on the threshold of the real world and the not real world after the ending. You know, you're you're right in front of Kentucky Route Zero, and there's all this weird kind of supernatural X Files like sort of stuff going on or Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> that was my alarm. 
That was the X Files right there. <laughs> that was sorry. Um but uh Yeah, I think I didn't I guess I didn't think about it as deeply as that, but I really like the points you're making because I guess I didn't think about Conway being dead or I definitely thought about the basement people being dead or ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and like with Weaver, everything in her house was unused, like the sink is yeah. cold. You know, the the stove is freezing, nothing's happening. The sink is dusty and the, yeah. the stove is cold. So, like, was yeah. she really there? Yeah, there's curveballs, too. You know, they have the gravestones in front of her house, which they later oh, say yeah. are decoration. They later go, right. like, I go up to them with Shannon. She's like, oh, those are just for decoration. And you're like, decorative graves? And, oh, those names are made up. And, you know, we put our name on there just to be funny. Yeah, it's sort um, of like, a, a you know, a couple loose threads to still remain. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the great things about the game is that there are so many things up in the air. Mm-hmm. And I like just thinking about them and wondering yeah, well, without everything being answered. That's why we're talking about it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, immediately after playing this game, it was, I got so many questions and I want to ask you what happened to you and do you have the same question? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. That's why we're talking about it. So Yeah. But, uh, and the ending of Act ending, 1. At first I thought my game blacked out. Yeah, me too. That's what a lot of people thought. But the game just, nope, we're done. Close the application. We're done here. No credits. <laughs> Check the readme maybe that comes with it. So yeah, you're, you, throughout the game, uh, you're trying to fix this TV for Weaver. Uh, Joseph gives it to you at the beginning and you take it with you and you try to fix it and it doesn't seem to do any good. Mm-hmm. And then later you return to Weaver's house with Shannon and it's all dark and you turn on the TV and you're trying to calibrate it or whatnot or she's fixing the tubes and uh, it kind of, it does. It doesn't kind of, it just does. It, it reve- does. Uh, reveals Kentucky Route Zero that is being hidden by the farm in the backyard the yeah. whole time. Uh, you look at the farm earlier and you kind of just dismiss it, but it is, maybe it's a mirage or what, but. Uh, or is it like a portal to Route Zero? Like is Route Zero some sort of other dimension? Yeah. I don't know. So it could be that. I mean, maybe no one's dead. Maybe it's just another dimension where people come in and out of and they get sucked into and they don't ever come back. I mean. Mm-hmm. And then but why was Conway given an assignment slash, you know, tasked to go deliver something at this place in Route Zero? Like who who issued that order? He initially doesn't plan to take Route Zero. He just, you know. Right. Yeah. So but this place that he's supposed to go to is in Route Zero. Right. Right, he, he has, has to, to take Route Zero to get there. Yeah. So I'm wondering, where did this order up top come from? Oh, I see what you're saying. Who's, who's Conway's boss that's telling him, you need to make a delivery, go to this place? Like, you think maybe they would have already known that they he would have to go through it? Some Something's up there. I don't know something's what's going up. on. Something's up. Or he, did Conway make the order himself? Is he his own boss? That's not really... Mm, I mean, it's not clear. Who knows? But if he didn't know this address, it seems sort of... Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation. But, uh, yeah it's a good game very it interesting mm-hmm. it's definitely uh very different from what most games are and it's very slow paced but if you can stick with it and you like folklore stories and interesting uh, visual elements yeah atmospheric music and audio might be interested all right well i guess we'll do this again when act two comes out right for sure all right great i'm excited yeah. i hope that's soon Thanks for talking about the game with me, Hillary. Thank you, Andrew. This was very awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll see you next time for Act 2, right? Yeah. Look forward to it. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening.
we reach the back half of today's From the Archives episode, Alex Koval joined Hillary and I to discuss our initial reactions to Act 2 of Kentucky Route Zero, as well as the themes, symbolism, and character arcs that were all starting to develop by then. Hope you enjoy. Before we start this, I think I think I just want to say that the more I think about this this game, the more I realize that there's a lot about like working and traveling and like all that fun stuff. And I just realized that like the Equus Oils thing mm-hmm. is like is the symbols a horse, which is like a major way to travel and also a major like beast of burden. Mm. That's a good. That's an interesting point. Like it's a like a workhorse, a work but also horse. like you can yeah. travel a horse. Travel with a horse. You should definitely mention that when we're recording. And that was the last time that Alex ever mentioned the horse. All my friends play video games, and today I'm joined by Hilary Beauvais, who is on our last episode. I want to say hi, Hilary. Hi. And my best friend, Alex Koval. Say hi. Hello. Hey. Uh, We're going to talk about Kentucky Route Zero, Act 2, but where we left off on Act 1, Alex, do you want to maybe explain where we we left off? What happened last? Uh, The end of Act 1. Let's see. So I recall uh, we go down a mine shaft and eventually we work our way to Shannon's workshop and then back to the Marquez farm where we find out that Mar- uh, Shannon's cousin Weaver has fled, and then we fix the old TV, and uh, we get a nice little artistic uh, sort of fade in to Route Zero, and our heroes drive their vehicle down it, the uh, trusty delivery truck. Mm-hmm. So that's where we leave off. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and in uh, Act Two, it just throws you right into you're you're in the zero already. Uh, there's there's a cold open scene. Um, and the pacing on this one uh, felt felt quite a bit different. I mean, while we're talking about the pacing in general, do we want to just go quick round table and get some gut reactions about how we all felt about this? Like when you just kind of were done with it and walked away, uh, what was your initial reaction? Hillary, do you want to? Initial reaction to the end of Act 1? Act 2. The beginning of Act 2. No, just, just all of Act 2. Oh, just all of Act just 2. Just in general, like, what do you think about it as you were done with it? When I was done... I felt a little bit less satisfied than I did after Act 1. It felt shorter. I felt like not as much action happened. I didn't learn quite as much about the characters as I wanted. Mm-hmm. So overall, I didn't feel as like excited. But I, there were still a lot of great moments that I felt like, oh, that was, that was exciting. That was fun. It was still solid. It was a solid act. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just want to run down maybe what your favorite, least favorite part was? Um, least favorite was definitely the whole first scene, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, I mean, we've talked about outside a little bit. Just the fact that there was not a lot going on. There was a lot to explore, but I feel like it didn't yield too many results upon exploration, which I think in act one that did happen. You know, I think, I actually think my favorite thing was probably the zero map. It was just oh, so interesting. Itself. Yeah. I really liked perusing that and like, it was interesting how there were different combinations you could use mm. and like get to different places i don't know if i went to all of them yeah but. yeah the zero is i like the zero a lot in the terms that like i felt like they delivered on the promise that you're you're in the zero and that you're going into it in the first act that was a really i was i guess i was almost most surprised by yeah i think that was the part where i was like oh, immediately mm, yeah whereas other things 
There were, I mean, probably like the last forest scene was at least also visually like, ooh, you know. Yeah. But there were less things that I actually like gasped at. Yeah, I thought the, I, I thought it was a much slower act. Um, I thought the second time I, I played through it, I, I noticed a lot more things that helped me appreciate it. I missed a lot of, like you said, when, when you explore, I feel like in act one, when you explored, we found a lot of different individual scenes to visit and run around in. And I felt that the ones in this one were a lot easier to miss. And also because the zero is so much harder to navigate and it takes a longer learning curve. When you do find stuff, it's a lot farther and few between than when you're on the map and you can kind of just tell when you're going to find a scene you can walk into. Yeah, exactly. Um, it just felt like the zero took a lot more effort to explore, but didn't, like you said, yield as many, as many results. Um, so I definitely agree with that. But uh, Alex, do you want to let us know what you felt about it? Same thoughts, different thoughts? Uh, yeah, so... I mean, I would say Hillary hit the uh, nail on the head. I think that exploration, um, you know, outside of the zero exploration was kind of uh, kind of not really as rewarding as I thought it might be. Um, uh, particularly, you know, that first scene where I would say it would probably have to be my least favorite part of the act. Um, just because it's funny, one, at one point you're you're running around. They they send you in this endless loop of check with this clerk, and then you go to that clerk, and then he tells you to check with another clerk. And it's supposed to sort of mirror like how bureaucracy kind of gives people the run around. But when I was playing it, I actually felt I was I was not enjoying it as much as I would actually not enjoy getting the run around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it was like right. this is a game. I'm not really having as much fun, or as it's not as thought provoking as I would have liked it to be. Um, at that point, but I, I feel like it was slower. Um, it had more rewarding crescendos, I think. Like the the moments mm. that struck me really struck me hard, mm. um, and I thought they were, you know, really beautiful and uh, in many ways I thought a little, you know, transcendent. Um, uh, I would say my favorite part would have to be um, the scene when you go onto the roof of the museum and uh, it's thunderstorming. Mm. And you're kind of walking past all these like silhouetted houses with lights on inside, and you see this giant eagle flying around in the back carrying yeah. these houses. And I think thematically, um, that was you know it, there was a lot going on there thematically. Um, uh, but I, I sort of liked it, I think, because you know the horror, the, the horror fan in me sort of liked the dark, gothic, stormy night kind of look to it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would say uh, I didn't overall. I didn't really enjoy it as much as Act One. Um, I felt the pacing was a little bit off, and uh, uh, I would say thematically it had a lot more interesting things going on. Like it, it, it felt more, it felt more like it was working with themes than actual characters, I guess. Um, mm. Whereas the first act felt more character driven. You got to learn a lot more about Conway and a lot more about yeah. uh, Shannon as well. So that's a good point. I felt the cast was a little bit larger on this one too. Like that whole bu the initial bureau that you go right. to is like got so. I mean, first off, they don't even let you play as Conway and Shannon right away. Mm -hmm. You're playing as um, Lula, L Lula Chamberlain, mm -hmm. and you're playing as her right away. And then you know, depending on who you what you say, you'll have a different character that kind of represents themselves throughout the act. If you if you keep like exploring, right? Um, and then you know, there's all the people in the office. There's like the bears. There's the guy. There's a guy <laughs> the way up top is. who's playing the record player, and it's skipping. There's a few details with him that are really interesting. Um, Mysterious bears. There's the whole, and you know, and the bureau is like. It, there's also. Um, I mean, you, you talked about themes. Like, I think, and also by the way, I think you're right. The the whole part where you go up uh, from the museum onto the rooftop, and it's it, you realize it's raining. 
it's like one of those moments like that where the scene, like I said, it just transforms visually mm-hmm. seamlessly. And you're like this game. I'm not looking at a different game, but visually it's just transforming into something that's super visually like communicative. It's, it's telling me a lot about what's going on. And there's a lot of symbolism. It immediately has a mood too. Yeah. It just sucks you in. It's like, it just looks like a moving something, you know, very artistic in, in those moments. Um, and uh, so, but I mean, going on the idea of themes, I mean, this, I feel like this one, you're right, this one has a lot of uh, consistent themes that they try to explore throughout and they stretch them across. Um, there seemed like a, a very big emphasis on art, like this, just discussing art and creating art and thinking about art and like fine art itself. You know, there's a lot of like faux gallery settings. There's like the TVs and the bureau. There's the zero itself feels like it's, it's almost a gallery within itself. There's the museum, which actually is a gallery. There's there's all those sorts of themes. So it's almost like they're discussing concepts of fine art within a game and how that affects these people's lives. There's, you know, there's like you've mentioned to me, Alex, how there's uh, themes about like work and um, and labor and, and how that factors into people's lives versus, you know, having an artistic life. There seems like there's a lot of dualities in this one where people seem to have double lives. That's what stood out to me the most. What it what stood out to you the most, Alex? Um, yeah, so I, I definitely see the, the, there was, there was definitely some art talk and especially in the beginning there where you find out Lula does, uh, what is she a sculptor? She gets rejected from, uh, some sort of application she applies for. Um, uh, they mentioned that another one of the clerks does watercolor, you know, so there's this, you know, as a hobby. So there's a sort of divide between, uh, labor and, and, you know, their sort of hobby that they do art. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that that work is is a very, from what I can tell, it seems like a very big theme. Um, a lot of the answer choices kind of revolve around it. Um, when you go to the storage unit, um, and if I don't know if either of you listened to the entire sermon, but the entire sermon is about work. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's some sort of quote. Um, you know, it's it's. I guess it's. He, they mentioned how it's dedicated to those who died in Chicago, which I don't know if there were like labor strikes or I, I wasn't sure what that was referencing, but there was something about like laboring with dignity. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's sort of the message of the homily, I guess. Well, I guess that's what the homily was called or something like that, something along those lines. And if you sort of look at the game, you know, as kind of how it's progressing, it's sort of Conway's final, I, I mean, th- this is how I played it anyways. It, it's sort of Conway's final, uh, delivery yeah, a lot of his answers were revolving around that. Yeah, it was like, "Do you want to? Do you want to get your leg fixed?" And he's like, "Well, I just, you know, I want to finish this delivery." Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I, th- I think going along with that, um, there's a lot of talk about travel, and I think I think I would add to that finding a home. I mean, we can go into this a little bit more later. Yeah, but, uh, the definitely. whole the whole reclaim spaces concept where people's homes are seem like On they're display. literally being uprooted. They're literally being traveled. Between yeah, the forest yeah, and, the, and, the, and the museum, and almost uh, a lot of the buildings in the museum were mobile mobile buildings. Yeah. Well, the museum on. is actually split. If you notice, like on the one half of the museum, it's all uh, stable homes. Like there's an actual house, there's a dog house. Mm. Um, oh, there are yeah. Actual houses, and then on the other side of the museum, there's like an RV, a houseboat, a tent, and all these like houses that can sort of move or you can travel with. So um, I think that's kind of interesting. And then they meant when you go upstairs and there's that eagle flying around, he, they actually mentioned that the eagle is carrying 
people's houses out to the forest so that they can like live with quiet and peace and in solitude. Um, Definitely. So yeah, I don't know like what's going on there entirely, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And there's also, there was a quote, um, very like wink and a nod sort of quote that uh, the secretary or the receptionist says when you're talking about, you're having some conversation with her initially about trying to figure out where you're going and trying to find some routes to get, you know, from one part of the zero to the next or trying to look for what was a dogwood drive or whatever mm-hmm. that yeah. street is. And uh, at some point she talks about like going between here and there. And she's, I think she's referencing, yeah. it's like, you know, it's, she's, it's like a, at once she's talking about the Kentucky route zero going between the zero and going between wherever else you are, like in the real world. And I feel it's also, there's, you know, I think it extends this the, a big theme in the first uh, act was life and death and mortality and like the fact that people seem haunted or ghostly or that people have passed on and I think the zero also acts as a strong metaphor for you know the idea of traveling between like worlds or dimensions or maybe it is like passing from one life to another or like living and dying and like the process of what it it means to like let go of something so maybe it's not literal death it's like the eagle carrying someone's house somewhere and the doctor staying in the forest and deciding he wants to not come back. Um, but just like those little like conversational pieces where they talk about traveling between whatever here and there. And, and you know, just the whole idea of people having a life one, one place and then having their artistic life in another. Yeah. And they're like, they're like you said, they're separating the two, they're dividing the two. Um, you know what else I just realized is probably a reference to homes. When you're in the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces in the beginning, you know how there are all those crabs on the ground and they have weird shells? All their shells are like different homes for them. They keep inhabiting different homes. Like so they're really weird things like a soda can and stuff like that. That's true. What, what, I didn't what, notice those. Are but they I, hermit crabs? Yeah, or? they're just like these little crabs that are crawling around. It's only if you say certain things in the conversation that they appear. Because mm-hmm. huh. I think the first time I played it, they did not appear. And then the second awesome. time I played it, they did. They're yeah, just kind of crawling everywhere. The, uh, like those like TVs that are on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them says that there's like a hermit, like a, like a video of a hermit crab with some other crab's shell on yeah, it. Yeah. Oh. And then when you m- make these certain conversations, it kind of like, it c- appears in the game. That's awesome. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even see that. There's yeah. also a, a, a video of like, like a magpie or like, Oh yeah. Collecting like pieces of, of other people's things and making a nest. Making a nest. A nest. And the nest is actually in the zero as a symbol. Oh, oh yeah, there's what? a nest you you drive by thing. I thought that maybe what was in the videos was somewhat being referenced what's on in the zero. zero. Like, there's actually one part of the zero that really references Act One, I think, which is when you're in the mine and you're turning, and there's those four symbols in the mine, like the scarecrow or the coffin, oh, something yeah. else. And I think some of those things reappear in the zero as like those artificial symbols, like those like linear, like right. like line, light line symbols. Um, the like kind of landmarks on the map. Yeah, the landmarks, right? There's like a the one of the one of them's like the feather. One of them's the feather. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The other thing I thought about of this episode that was, in terms of just like actually playing the game, uh, whether or not it had anything to do with the story, was how much much more climbing there was in this. Everything was up and down. Yeah, there's a lot more up and down. Like the bureau, you're taking the elevator up and down. Yep. And when you're in the museum, you're taking the lift up. When you're mm-hmm. in the cathedral. Um, but they, they tried to, it seemed like they tried to limit how much Conway had to walk, even though it felt like he was walking forever. I mean, yeah. if you think about the mild mileage he covered, he didn't cover a lot in terms of like walking, like in act one, he's walking up hills and walking through mines through mine. and, you know, walking up into houses and backyards. And this one, he's really staying in one room the whole time, every act. Um, but I think because of that, they, 
visually did something different where you're not out in a rural area looking at country houses and mines and whatever else you're actually in buildings that have very strict 90 degree angles um and these are places that are all within the zero and it's interesting because the zero has if you look there's like silhouettes of stalactite hanging from the cathedral at the top yes so like reference that you are in a cave so like they're like making interiors within an interior and they have this comment in the very beginning of the game, are, are we outside or are we inside? Yeah. Because it feels like we're outside, but we're actually inside something. And what do you guys think of that stuff? Was there any anything about the like the environments that you liked a lot, like just visually or something about it, like interactively that you thought was neat? Well, your inside outside thing just reminded me of in the uh, first area, the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the top floor. You walk all the way to the right and then you see this entire cathedral. Yeah, I missed that. You told me about that. What, what did that look like? What, what Did you see this, Alex? No, I didn't. It was like I noticed it when I went on another floor and I, I saw like part of it and I was like, what's that? Then I went up to another floor. And if you just walk all the way to the right when you're until you're on the like balcony, basically, you this entire cathedral comes into view. It's really cool looking. And there's an old guy there and he is grilling something. And then he just sits down and play the organ and he just plays it for a while and then he stops and that's basically all you can do in that space. It's really cool. And, but that, so it kind of takes up the entire right side of your screen and it's like, well, is that outside or inside? Cause I'm like looking onto a view, but it seems like an inner space. So it's really confusing that way, but really cool. And then visually, I think, um, another really interesting part that we mentioned kind of already was the forest at the end. Uh, that was act- visually, that was like, yeah, that was it for that me. Was like, that was it. That was like, <laughs> we made it. We've made it here. This is Kentucky Rod Zero. And immediately when <laughs> I saw it, I thought, this is a reference to a painting. And then I immediately had to investigate. Mm-hmm. And um, if any of you guys are feeling art nerdy, it's uh, The Blank Signature by René Marit. And um, so it's that painting of a person riding on a horse through the forest and all the trees, as you look at it, it's like an optical illusion. And some of the trees are the environment and some of the trees are trees. And it's like some of the trees are intersecting the horse and the person. Mm. It's like really confusing to look at and really fascinating. Well, there's that verticality stuff again. Yeah, like exactly. The drawing straight lines up and down. Yeah. What's it called? I'm going to Google it. Right the now. blank signature. Mm-hmm. It's there, by Mac. There's also that fine art thing again. Exactly. They're, they're representing, they're cre- recreating, like they're doing homages. It's, yeah, it's it. a direct homage, definitely. Uh, yes. That is really cool. Yeah, I think when the promotional art came out, were they the car? Mm-hmm. The red With car the and the blue trees. And I remember showing Hillary, oh, Act Two's coming out. And she goes, that's a painting. That's someone else's painting. And she looked it up and found out. And then when we got to Act Two in that part, and it's just like, that, that part's so cool because I mean, I felt like from the moment you go up the museum, it just like takes off because you have these great visual silhouettes that you talked about, Alex, that are like very, they reference horror in a way. There's not a lot drawing the scene. And then you get to the eagle and the supernatural stuff, just like this magical realism stuff just hits you in the face, like giant eagle. You get to fly over the map. Like they just take the wheels off or the like the training wheels off. <laughs> the and you're, like, you're like, whoa, like th- this game is opening up in ways I didn't expect. And then you get to the forest and like, just visually like running through the trees and seeing the the negative trees versus like the actual trees that are erasing things like move while you're moving and then things kind of appear within the trees like the rv and that kind of thing it was just like this game 
it, it really, like you said, Alex, it, the crescendo was so good because it was so satisfying to, for one, just run again. And to two, just see all these really, like, see all these very just, like, I don't want to say minimalist, but just, like, like the palette got super tight. And it was really, it yeah. got really rich. And it got really mysterious. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that that part seemed so, like, just gripped me. Like, I didn't want it to end. And then it, like, ended, like, two minutes later. That's like, yeah. I'm like, no. Mysterious is a good word for it because I feel like in the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, it's kind of immediately all laid out for you. Like, great, I'm in a building. I'm going up and down in the elevator. The only thing that's mysterious is the room of bears. And then, <laughs> I mean, and the other things that you end up seeing are, are like, you know, reading in the logbooks and that kind of thing. But ultimately, that scene is like laid out for you immediately. And it's not that interesting. It's just a building. Yeah. And that's very like explained and very detailed. Like, yeah. Let's go to this person. Talk to that person. This person takes care of this task. It's very much like and, a map laid out for you. Yeah. I, you get I, a room full of banjos and then one giant kazooie at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. I think the thing with like with magical realism, I think that Kentucky Route Zero does really well. Is it sort of like kind of walk the border between being magical and being realistic like um you know if if anybody out there has ever read anything by gabriel garcia marquez or isabella lend or if anybody's ever seen pan's labyrinth i think pan's labyrinth is a good example as well but you're you're never quite sure as a viewer or a reader uh or a player i guess in this case what's what's real and what's not or um like you know, you're not you're not totally in 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 magic land, and you're not totally in in the real world. There's mm-hmm. there's always some there's always some kind of teetering on and back and forth. And I think with Kentucky Route Zero, you get a lot of um, you get a lot of that. Like you never really feel as though a place is totally realistic or totally magical. I mean, yeah, it's not the, like Narnia. The, yeah, like the 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 reclaimed spaces. Um, you know, it 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 feels so droll in a lot of regards with the whole like bureaucracy and um uh just sort of like bored uh desk jobs um but then you have that room full of bears so then you're like what's that about um you know the museum is sort of you know it's 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 set up exactly like a museum would be set up but it's very unorthodox in that it has these displays um that are just uh something you usually wouldn't see in a museum Mm. uh but yeah i would say like in all um it it really walks that line and and sort of teeters. You never really feel like you're in a place that's complete. Like it's always like, oh well, this is this person's home, but this person is missing right now, and we're not sure where they are. Or like this building is used to be this, but now it's used as this, but it's not really used as this because people aren't really coming anymore. And you know, there's always some sort of like everything sort of feels like it's 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 walking some sort of nebulous line. Yeah, everything's um, in between. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's really important when you write magical realism. You're never really you have to suspend your disbelief. Like um there's yeah. this scene in in uh one of Marquez's books where like this blood just trickles down this hill for like in this really intricate pattern for like hundreds of yards and it goes down this drain and it's just like something you you really wouldn't happen in real life, but at the same time you could see that one scenario happening or where it where it actually did you know um so yeah that's, that's yeah like like the zero is really interesting but then you get to the bureau and it's like it seems so normal and every day to them and they've made it into this like monotony like this is just what we do and it's like but we're in like this other dimension and like this is crazy and like and they're like it's just another they're just, giving you, they're just giving you the tip of the iceberg with it almost 
The other thing that you, when you were talking made me think about is I think the game is almost letting you, by making these dialogue choices, choose where these characters came from as opposed to where they're going. Like these characters have like huge pasts and histories and you, you almost use the player get to choose who they were before this happened. That's a really like, good point. Like there's some detail about your family that you can fill in and it's not an overall detail. Like I had a family or didn't have a family or I had a wife or didn't have a wife. It's like I had this to this degree and mm. you're like, carving out very subtle relationships and how do you think the character development in this one was like do you think we learned what do you think we learned something new about conway i would say like via dialogue like you were saying before you do get some you do get to choose some things about his relationships with characters that you don't encounter um so you can kind of forge his relationship with his brother i would honestly say that a lot of what i got from the act was all through like the sort of like interweaving of themes and and how the character sort of like the overarching stretch of the character's journey, the hero's journey, as it were. Um, I felt like a lot of the dialogue options really revolved around like what his views on his job were, like how he felt towards this being his last delivery, like how urgent that that was to him, you know, how he felt about you know, getting his leg fixed and so on and so forth. I think the whole leg being hurt is is just a giant gleaming metaphor for um, Conway, like, being unable to come to terms with something or being unable to finish the journey or being inhibited in finishing the journey. Um, Definitely. Yeah, especially with, like, like I, the more I looked into it, like, the, the big three themes that I felt, like, were really glaring down on him um, were, like, being unable to travel in certain cases. Um, there's some sort of quote in there. Um, what is it? It's like, work is play for mortal stakes. That was the name of the sermon, I believe. Yeah. Um, oh, yep. And there, there's also, the last thing I was going to say, the thematically, there's something with like hard times. You don't really get too much of it with Conway, but there's a little, you kind of get the sense that he might be like an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic because there are certain like, there are dialogue choices about him drinking and the options are always mm. like, yeah, I'd love one of those or like, Definitely. I better, I better yeah. not drink that. It's like, <laughs> there's a one. It's never like, Oh, we have stuff to do. It's like, give me that whiskey yeah. right <laughs> now. Or like, Oh, you know what? If I drink that, I'm going to become belligerent. Like it's not that yeah. black and white, but did you get to so, that, that extra scene where they're like near the, Near the bar, the tavern the called, tavern? called yes. Lower Depths. Yes. Yeah, Lower Depths. Oh. Wow. And then Love if that. you go to the if you go to the um, dumpster, you find like clothes, work, working shoes. Yeah. It's like okay, glasses and a hat. So yeah. I don't know what the glasses and the hat mean, but I, I, I thought it just meant like because you I felt like you could hear it was the one note was that you could hear music coming from inside the club, but you couldn't tell if it was just people cleaning up or people were still in there and it was like a secret party. And immediately it made me think of, okay, like here's the thing again where people are like at night, they're going and expressing themselves and they're going out and they're living another life and like Mm. the work clothes are in the dumpster and they're thrown away and Uh, the road uh, is completely empty. I I love that scene. That was was so cool. That that felt alone in that scene. Like I felt like really felt like wanderers on the road more than any scene ever in that, in that game. Oh, you know, you know what else uh, caught my eye was the. I don't. Did any of you guys get to like the Deja Vu tunnel? Mm, deja Vu. Is this? Can like, you describe that further? Is this yeah, like an actual like, scene you walk through? Yeah, you like nope. the gate. The, there's like a cutscene, and then you're driving through this tunnel, 
and they stop the car and, yes. and Shannon's like, what, what are you, why are you stopping? And he's like, I feel like I've been here before or yes. something. You're and on like a curve. I feel like I'm an actor in a play and I don't own my lines. And uh, I feel like that kind of goes back to that whole like, I mean, I guess walking the line, but also sort of like um, not being able to find oneself, you know, or like not being able to find a, a place to rest or I guess I, I can really put it in words, but there's there's definitely like some sort of sense of like longing or or something there um, that I feel like Conway sort of represents or is going through. I thought it was interesting in terms of where this sits in the grand scheme of Kentucky God Zero because we have three more acts left to go. And I feel like we've seen Conway at one of his lowest points, maybe like mentally, like he seems so like, no, I can deal with it. My leg's okay. And he seems so out of it. And he was like fainting and passing out at that one point. And um, Conway just seems so down. Like he's sitting down a lot. He's dragging his feet. You, you said he's dragging himself. He's his his leg injury is acting as a metaphor for something. He just seems so like at the end of his rope. I feel like I would have seen this act come later in the story. Like I felt like he's at like a low point for himself. Like def, just just his mannerisms and his his just talking. So I'm curious to see where he's going to go from here. Like whether he's actually going to get better. Where do you think this act is going to go? I think I would just like to see a little bit more action in the next act. Mm-hmm. Because there were big action moments in this one, but they were kind of fewer and far between. Just like, you know, like we mentioned before, like the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces was kind of monotonous. Mm-hmm. And then, I I mean, Random Access Self-Storage was visually cool, but there wasn't anything to do. You were just kind of talking. Yeah. It was, and it was pretty yeah. brief. So, yeah, it was definitely a really short scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it would, Like I really, when I saw that space, I immediately wanted to explore it. And like actually go up and down in that one because it looked more mysterious than the bureau. Yeah. And then we didn't. We stayed in one little space. Yeah. So I guess a little more of that would be a little more of the exciting exploration rather than the monotonous exploration is something I would hope happens. And I would like to see more of our our main character development, I guess, because we met a lot of new characters in this in this act, as we said. And we developed them somewhat, but then we kind of left them behind. Like Lula, we left her behind. Yeah. Carrington didn't get flushed out. Alex, did you meet Carrington? Uh, that's a, the name doesn't sound familiar. He was this big burly man with like a huge beard. He looked like a crazy... He's like an antler staff. Yeah, he has a staff. No, where was this guy? He's crazy. He's If you said certain things as Lula, he ended up being there. Oh. And he basically talked about his play and that he needed a venue for it. Yeah, he's from the theater. He's an yeah, actor. He's a, yeah. He's from Act One. He he was from Act One. So that was interesting. And then like it and then he I talked with him again a little bit later, still in the bureau, and he was like I, you know, I told him a place for his to have his play and he was like, Great, can you meet me at the actually at the cave in a few hours for the play? And so I went there later. And he wasn't there yet. It specifically said, like, Carrington will be here in a few hours. And then I tried to go back later, but I didn't get to the map again. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's things like that where they weren't following up with the things they were starting to develop. And then whereas I feel like I learned a lot less about Shannon. I learned some about Conway, but I don't know. I feel like I wanted to know more. Yeah, I felt I felt like, um, I think one, one of the reasons I liked the four so much was I felt like Shannon had a lot of empathy for Conway in that point. Mm. And she was sitting down with him. She was like, you really need to like get your leg checked out. Like she seemed really worried about him. I'm going to make sure you're okay. Like she had a lot of humanity in this, in this episode, which I like to see. I, I want to see more of that come out of her. 
But I, I don't want to see. I don't want to see all of her sassiness go away because it's kind of funny. Her sassiness is. Funny. I like when you can. There was one time. Well, first time Hillary and I played it. She's like, "No, pick all." I want Shannon to be like fully like attitude. Like whenever someone was giving her like the runaround, she's like, "Stop it! Stop, Stop it! I really <laughs> need an answer to this question yeah. right now." Sasspot three thousand. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, what did you? What do you think? What do you want to? What do you want to see, or what do you think we'll see? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I guess I would like to see some sort of. Uh, conflict or something because I feel like right now it's sort of like take Conway from point A to point B and just kind of mm. like build your own Conway basically um, <laughs> and uh, he's like stuffed stuff Conway <laughs> but like I, I don't know I, I guess I would like to see some sort of like like I would like to see him sort of get like into a position where he gets kind of like riled up and you know there's sort of there's something at stake because um, right now like you know, clearly he wants to do his job. He wants to get his leg fixed. But I feel like it's just sort of like I felt like I think maybe my the the negative part of my reaction to Act Two was just the fact that I felt like I was just trudging along a bit. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's what they intended. It might be what they yeah. intended. Um, well, especially know. with the lame leg. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get the sense that he's going through that hard time. So I would like to see it sort of culminate in some sort of breakthrough or something or, or dilemma or something along those lines. Um is you know, in Act Three, I think is the right place to do that, or Act Four maybe. Um, but they they have to hit that hit one of these yeah. one of these points because yeah, because like I said, he I feel like they've taken his character through some sort of like I feel like some sort of catharsis for him is up and coming already. Right. So and I feel and we also don't have any antagonists in this game. Right. From what I can tell, there's like alcohol like am- ambiguity yeah like ghosts at least in my game so, he's so, recovering so, alcohol so yes. go- maybe 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 the dog i don't know if it's homer or blue for you but yeah. maybe the dog is gonna watch homer i felt homer was more fitting because the whole odyssey thing right but <laughs> yeah i still wonder about blue slash homer's role because even with having dialogue with him in this act i was like what am i revealing here am i just talking to my dog with no result which is fine but yeah but they um yeah, I mean, they, they have a lot of ground to potentially cover, you know. Is it just, yeah, so I think that's that's a great point. Um, we haven't really seen a ton of conflict. We've seen a lot of, actually, quite a bit of resolution at the end of every act in terms of, like, well, maybe not. I mean, this act ended, like, very abruptly. But in terms of, like, your main goal in the beginning of the act is is addressed. You know, in the first act, you're looking for the zero. You end by finding it. The right. second act, your goal is... Find Dr. Truman. Yeah, you find him. Um, exactly. and they end on cliffhangers in a sense that they're like, you did it now you're done. So, uh, <laughs> what next? Yeah. I'd be curious to see if they actually do give us more of a true cliffhanger in terms of, you don't know, like you're left wondering what's going to happen next. And they maybe spend that time developing the characters more directly or spend time making the characters make more, uh, futuristic choices or future forward facing choices like i have to make a yeah. decision that's going to make that's going to carve that's going to change his character instead of define right. who he was like a decision that isn't just developing your character in sort of a more like past um, tense yeah it more of like a like this 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 affects the game going forward or this is some sort of like groundbreaking decision that will have a, a big effect on your character mm-hmm. as you're building him yeah well yeah. it does it does you know and i've read about it, the developers talked about that it does remember decisions you made and it, it does remember that a bit there are things that carry over and there's a lineage from your your play in act one act two so i wonder how much they're going to utilize that to to actually give you um some more you know maybe some more branches in the tree of the game mm-hmm. overall i think that's i think that covers everything pretty much i think so yeah okay 
Do you uh, do you think you'll be back for Act Three with us, Alex? Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be that'd be Sweet. great. Yeah. Maybe Just yeah. Uh, you know, give me a call. You know the number. I know the number. Well, uh, thanks for joining us for this one, Alex. It's cool yeah, to have you, you on. I mean, you and I have known each other since second grade, so talking about video games is like this is what we do. It's like any other Saturday night. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Hashtag life. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Hashtag all my friends play video games. Hey, hey, let's make that trend. Oh, I know that's gonna happen. <laughs> well, anyways, um, yeah, thanks for joining us again, Hillary, the lovely Hillary Beauvais. Check out our photography if you want to see good photography. Oh, thanks, HillaryBeauvais.com. Thank you. <laughs> Keep this a lighthearted podcast. All right. <laughs> We're already got Conway's leg broken, and he's like an alcoholic. We yeah, gotta have something bright. <laughs> Only in my game, anyways. <laughs> thanks again for tuning in to episode 12 of screen looking we hope you enjoyed today's special from the archives edition of the show and if you did be sure to share it with a friend and or leave us a rating and review from wherever you tune into podcasts we'd much appreciate it so yeah, get in touch and you can do that as well with our brand new Instagram account. You can look up at screenlooking, one word. You can follow along on Instagram as we share posts announcing new episodes, offering behind the scenes look at how we do the show, and also sharing some of our favorite details from any research we do for each episode, including concept art, quotes, and more. Today's music was produced by Ben Babbitt, who has produced all the music across all the acts soundtracks for Kentucky Route Zero. You can find his work if you search for him on Bandcamp. Uh, you can check out all the music there. Uh, I want to thank my guests, Alex and Hillary, uh, in the past tense for joining me when they did. Uh, I think it's just you know a great sign of friendship that the three of us are all still contributing to this show on a regular basis uh, whenever we can. And I'm looking forward to talking with them again as soon as the game is completed for its fifth and final act. And I hope you, the listener, will join us for that conversation as well. Again, I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar. Thanks for tuning in to Screen Looking, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care, and happy gaming.